forever. Dog. Hello, I'm House Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and sneaky silly, apparently. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and my parents are currently in the state that I am in. Is that why you're sweating so much? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're so far apart. Look at you. I know. You're you're all the way on that couch. I'm recording in studio with Melissa and Gabby is off living their bi-coastal life in their cabin in the woods. Yeah, I'm in my my cabin in the woods, but you're it's like I I feel like I could vision visualize myself like next to you on the couch. Astral project <laughs> to be right next to you. Oh, and then you je- you feel a gentle wisp on your arm and you know it's me. Oh, that's my nightmare. <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> so your parents are visiting to, to help celebrate the engagement? They are. Yeah, we're going to go out to dinner. My parents and Mal's parents and me and Mal, they might meet the new baby. Mal's sister had a baby. It's like a whole... A whole thing. I'm not sure. I never know how much the parents are supposed to know each other. Like when you're getting married, like how much how much are the parents of each of the kids? They called each other to congratulate each other, which I was like, congratulate on what? Like your child's ability to have a healthy relationship. (laughs) Like, I don't understand. Like, also, like, I get that this is nice. But like when Mal proposed to me and then Mal's parents were like, we're so proud of you to Mal. I was like, for what? (laughs) Well, it's okay. As somebody who's writing a book about marriage, let me (laughs) share what what might be happening. Okay. I I think it it is a, in a lot of times when two people get married, it is a joining of the families. Yeah. So maybe even more than the congratulations, it is more just like, oh, we are now going to be related. Let's, let's have a check-in. Yeah. But in terms of like how, how much do parents need to know each other? Like, or families, like, I think it varies so much. I think mm-hmm. some families know each other really well. Some families, like, meet at the wedding. Some families mm-hmm. never meet at all. If people are estranged, they're no longer around. So you know this because you you study marriage. I forgot that the invitations will say sometimes, we're not going to do this. We'll be like, the Ken and Ruth Raskin invite you to see their daughter, Allison, marry blah, 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 and blah, 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 John, whatever, putting that in the universe. And then that's the invitation is like the parents are inviting you to the joining of the children. Is that normal? I'd say it used to be very normal. Nowadays, I think less people do it. I think a lot of people still do it. But I've seen more just that the couple is inviting you. I even one of my friends, it was their dog was inviting us, that's fun. <laughs> which I thought was very funny. But yeah, I mean, historically, right, it is like a joining of the families. It is like the 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 brides in a heterosexual relationship giving away the bride to the yeah so I don't know I mean and in terms of like congratulations like to you and to Mal like it is a really major life step and Definitely. it's like a major decision yeah and so the congratulations of like oh you have made this big choice and you have found the person to make that big choice and step with, I think yeah. warrants a congratulations. No, not congratulations. But I guess I, from that perspective, I can see why it's like, I'm proud of you. Yeah, like maybe that's something they've really been looking for and wanting to do in their life. And now they're doing it. And that's wonderful. 
I think it was more like we never thought you would do this. I think it was more like a, whoa, you must really like this one. Like at this point. Melissa's wow. like falling off her chair. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's like, I, you know, I feel weird about like getting engaged or if I'm going to get engaged for a second time. How do you phrase that? Like you were like, oh, like, I, I don't even know what to post. I was like, what do I post? Like take two? Like it's that <laughs> is so funny. Oh my God. That is so funny. Wait, I really love that. <laughs> but I can't do that because it's his. We could post take two if it was also his second engagement, but it will no. be her, his first engagement. So that's not fair. Uh, but I, yeah, it is like this very weird thing of like, I'm very glad that I didn't get married the first time, but the engagement of it all is a little weird. But I wrote about that on my sub stack of just like having to come to terms with like the fact that I feel about it is like, is like I have like, will people be like, yeah, good, good luck with this one. No, I think people (laughs) will be like, oh, amazing. Like, you know, everything happens for a reason. Whatever people say. that phrase. I hope nobody says that to me. <laughs> I know, but people will say dumb things to you. Mal wouldn't let me make the caption on mine, T4, T4, Eva. <laughs> Mal oh. says no bit. Okay, you want to plan my wedding. Mal says no bits at the wedding. What? No bits. Not allowed to None? do anything. As- it's no. A se- it's a serious wedding? I. They want it to be very romantic. Ugh, I don't want to come. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll, co- I, honestly- I'll come, but I won't have a good time. That and that's I have fine. to be serious the whole time. I can't. Ma- I can't make any goofs. Well, I. I mean, I. We're gonna do an open floor, so you're allowed to roast. You know, everyone gets a good five minutes. Do not do that, Gabby. <laughs> Gabby, really? Don't don't do that. That's two a minutes. Everyone gets two minutes. No, don't Who do wants an open to speak? floor, Gabby. No, Why? don't do that because it's a. It'll be a disaster. If you want to do that, do that the night before at the rehearsal dinner. Okay. But don't do an open floor at the actual wedding because okay. that could take like an hour. Because we know a lot of comedians. Yeah. That feels yeah. yeah. I if I'm if I'm gonna bestow anything on you, it's it's don't have an open mic at your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do like I uh, well, I my friend Stephanie Beatrice told, was giving me a bunch of wedding advice and she was telling me because I was like, I wanna make the dress code don't bore me. But oh then, but then she was like, you're, I know you and you're going to want to be the center of attention. So don't give people any dress code that will make them try to be like more than you. And I was like, Ooh. okay, you're right. So now, so, so, I, you know, but I want to dress, I want to look like, like Billy Porter looked at it and said, it's too much. Like, I want to wear that. <laughs> As you should. Thank I you. really think you should do whatever you want other than have an open mic. And you can even have an open mic at the rehearsal the night okay. before, have like a big party and do an open mic there. Okay. But I think that with a flow of a wedding, you don't want like a solid hour and a half of speeches in the middle. You're right. You're right. <laughs> You're right. Anyway, this is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal <laughs> honesty. <laughs> well, this week on the show, we've got our two guests, Kristen Meinzer and Jolenta Greenberg, talking about Romance Road Test, their new Audible original podcast, which is kind of fitting for what we were just talking about. Yeah, it's a very fun interview and, and even funner hypotheticals. hypotheticals. Yeah, pretty good. 
And later, we're going to be discussing changing your language. And why people are so mad about it. (laughs) Oh, I forgot the second part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means. Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Elisa, Iowa. Nice. Beautiful. Hey, you two. I've been listening slash watching both of you since your BuzzFeed days, and I've enjoyed every second. I also finally have a question for you. Here's a little background. I work as a victim witness coordinator for a prosecutor's office. As my job title suggests, I work with victims and witnesses in criminal cases. The work can be fairly stressful as I'm typically working with people who are recently or are currently experiencing trauma. I do not specialize in one type of crime, so I work with victims of robbery, burglary, theft, harassment, domestic violence, sexual abuse, assault, etc. I've been in my current job for the past five years, and I've learned a ton about the criminal justice system, dynamics of human interaction, and myself. I also have a great salary, PTO slash vacation accrual, and retirement package. My bosses are also incredible. I've struggled with my mental health over the past two years. Who hasn't? And they've been super supportive and accommodating. Well, I think the work that I do is valuable and I love the people I work with. It can be stressful regularly seeing people in pain. I'm currently looking for other work and I found a promising job, but the employer is known for offering low salaries. The benefits are great, medical, dental, PTO, vacation, decent retirement, but the salary is definitely lower. Is it worth working a job with a less robust retirement plan and lower salary as long as I'm happier doing it? Help. Thanks so much for reading my question. Wow, Elisa. It to, it to me, it because I have a financial podcast, Bad With Money, to me, it seems like it depends on what your goals are. If your goals are to retire by a certain age and this has a less robust retirement package, that's something to consider because it would it would require working at this other job longer in order to achieve what you could achieve working at this other job for a shorter period of time. So it's kind of a cost benefit analysis of like, if I'm working here a shorter amount of time and I can retire, is that shorter amount of time going to be so hard for me that I would actually trade that for working longer uh, at a job that doesn't actually like make me sad and stressed every single day. So I think in terms of salary, it really just depends on, again, like, what are your goals? Like, do you, are you a person who's like, I am fine renting? Are you a person who's like, I want to eventually, you know, I want to, I want to travel the world. Like, I think a big part of this kind of decision, and I'm sure Allison will speak to the emotional side of it, uh, for me is making a, a list of what are your top five goals for the next, let's say 10 years of your life. And then seeing what, what these salaries and what these benefits packages what lines up with what. And if if you can say like, you know what, if I downsize where I'm living, then I actually will kind of be taking in the same profit and loss, even though I'm, you know, going to a job with a lower salary. If I have if I'm at this job, but I'm happier and I'm not and I'm able to like have more of a social life or I'm able to like sleep better at night, like what kind of what will that add to my, you know, ability to to work harder? Like, I think I think factoring in what the time commitment mentally not in your job is or emotionally in your job is 
is also something you should factor into spending or salary, if that makes sense. Like, it's not just a number. Yeah, my my reaction, that was a very reasoned, uh, grounded <laughs> reaction. My reaction was definitely quit. Um, <laughs> well, but, so, but here's the thing. Somebody needs to do that job. And I don't think you're obligated, but it is sometimes like you are such a good feeling feelings like you clearly listen to this podcast. So you're like emotionally at least interested in your emotions and your mental health. And so like I would rather have you doing this job than like some guy who doesn't care. Does that make sense? But like it's not your responsibility, but I'm just like, ugh. yeah, but a lot of times in, in certain high emotional jobs like that, you can only do it for a couple of years. That's like, true. you know, you'll see people who have these types of like, you know, working with certain communities, working with trauma, like you, the fact that you made it five years, I think is commendable and wonderful. And so I don't think that you should put that pressure on yourself that you have to continue to to do that just because you're good at it. I know. And I think it's that real question of like, how much do we care about now versus this future that we can't even necessarily bank on? Right. Like, if I wouldn't say, hey, quit your job completely and go blow all of your savings. But to take another job that like that has benefits and has a salary, you know, like at a certain point, you have to care about now and you have to care about your quality of life and your internal world. And if you are noticing that, like, this is just not sustainable for you, that like the work is is just coming home with you and, and permeating you, which is completely understandable, then I think finding something else is is definitely the way to go. But I, I think just the idea of that, like, it's this or that, you know, right? Like you can mm -hmm. take this job, but then continue to look for another job that has a better salary or maybe yeah. put a little more planning into, okay, if this is my next step, what's my step after that? Right. Instead of just feeling like so locked in long term to this lower salary. But in terms of like, the next decision, I think I think getting into an environment that is better for your mental health is is definitely valuable and, and more valuable than than whatever loss of salary you're taking, because we don't know how much time we have. We don't know what our life is going to look like. Like and and if you if this is draining you, then that's like kind of the only answer that you need. And, and someone else will co hopefully come in and step in and, and be able to do it for a bit of time. But there are some people who can do this kind of job and it not come home with them. And they can probably do that job for 20 years. But I would argue that most people can't, right? Yeah, you um, develop compassion fatigue, which is where you see right. people who have been in these types of jobs for 20 years. You're like, why is that person so mean to me when I'm like just trying to like get help? And it's like, well, because they, they've been doing this for so long, they've kind of lost track of like the people, it, the humanity of it. You see that a lot. I also think lower salary. What I'm trying to say is that lower salary doesn't necessarily mean you will have less money because if you are happier, if you are healthier, if you are have, you know, if you have more energy during the week or during, you know, the weekends or whatever, there's room to then sort of parse out what do I actually like doing? What is something that I could do on the side, which I know sucks. I, I side hustle culture is really born out of economic oppression and nobody knows that better than I do. But I think like there are ways to sort of take a step back and see, okay, maybe maybe this is a lower salary, but how can I make it work for me? Is there a way where I can take some of the salary that I have before I leave this job 
and and put and invest it and figure out like maybe there's like a mutual fund or something you can put it in or like maybe you take this lower salary but because you have more time you're able to volunteer and that you know gets you to meet different people and and your priorities might change and you might feel like yeah you know what like I don't need all of this stuff that I have or something you know like I just think like no I'm serious like sometimes working with different groups has made me feel like I need to, you know what? I need to downsize what I've got. I need to like, there are, there are places where I could donate or sell these things or whatever. I just think like once you have more breathing room, like once you're not oppressed by your job, even because you could have that salary and have no breathing room to know what you want to do with it in the future or what you actually value and prioritize because you're so locked in. So like these people have these jobs that are so stressful and so like create a lot of mental stress. And then they wake up and they do that job and they go to sleep and they think about it and they wake up and they do that job. They're not even using their higher salary. They're not even they're not even putting it to use in a way that indicates their priorities and values. They're not able to figure out where they want to put their time or where they want to put their money because they're just like so stuck in this idea that the high salary matters more than their health. And their day-to-day experience. Yes, yes. Day-to-day health. Yeah. So we, we're excited for you to take this leap. I think, you know, like we said, like this doesn't necessarily mean you'll have a lower salary forever. I think getting in touch with what your priorities are and what your goals are more long-term for your career. But in the immediacy, like, you know, getting yourself into an environment where you can kind of take a take a breath is definitely going to be beneficial. So if you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guests, Kristen Meinsner and Jolenta Greenberg. Stay tuned. Hi, everyone. Allison here. Anyone who knows me well knows that I love to read. I am always looking for new books, and that is why I am so excited that this episode is sponsored by Book of the Month. Book of the Month's mission is to help readers discover new books they love and to promote the work of emerging authors. It was so fun for me to get to pick which book I wanted to read this month and have it shipped right to my door. Book of the Month makes it easy to decide which book to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles. They pick some of the best new books for you to choose from. All the books are good, so you can't go wrong. Every aspect of the Book of the Month experience is designed to be fun and special for readers. They have a highly anticipated release at the beginning of each month. Books are delivered in this really adorable bright blue box, and there's a fun app to help you pick your book and track your reading process. They also offer great values on new release hardcover fiction. It's much cheaper than other options, shipping is always free, and with a loyalty program, you get rewards and even lower prices the longer you stay as a member. My first book from Book of the Month was The Husbands by Holly Gramazio. I am tearing through this book. It is so fun. It's basically about this woman who one day comes home and there's a husband in her apartment and she's like, where did you come from? And then she figures out that every time her new husband goes into the attic, a new husband comes out and she's she's like shuffling through all these different husbands from the attic trying to figure out which one is the best. It is right up my alley and I love it so much. So if you want to take part in Book of the Month and have a brand new book shipped right to your door every single month, 
Go to bookofthemonth.com and get your first book for $5 with code PEDALS. That's $5 off with code PEDALS. I cannot recommend this enough. Turtles All the Way Down is the acclaimed number one bestseller by John Green, author of The Fault in Our Stars and Paper Towns. Turtles All the Way Down is now streaming on Max. NPR named the novel a, quote, sometimes heartbreaking, always illuminating glimpse into how it feels to live with mental illness. Aza Holmes never intended to pursue the disappearance of fugitive billionaire Russell Pickett, but there's a $100,000 reward at stake and her best and most fearless friend Daisy is eager to investigate. So together, they navigate the short distance and broad divides that separate them from Pickett's son, Davis. Aza is trying. She's trying to be a good daughter, a good friend, a good student, and maybe even a good detective, while also living with the ever-tightening spiral of her own thoughts. Turtles All the Way Down is a brilliant novel about love, resilience, and the power of lifelong friendship. As someone with OCD, it is so wonderful to see OCD represented in an incredible book. I think it is so important that we talk about mental illness, both in our own lives and through narrative. Buy your copy of Turtles All the Way Down in stores today and catch the movie streaming on Max. between us it's time for the juiciest most scandalous most controversial segment known to all of podcasting tough questions this week on the show our guests are Kristen meinzer and jolanta greenberg they are best known as the hosts of the long-running self-help experiment podcast by the book and co-authors of the book how to be fine what we learned from living by the rules of 50 self-help books their newest creation is romance road test a new audible original podcast out now hello Hello, hello. Thanks for having us on today. Oh, we love to have another duo on so we can compare dynamics. So we've been so intrigued by this new project that you guys are doing, which is, you could probably describe it better than me, but sort of taking a a trip down, trying all these different romance self-help books with your partners. Yes, but this time around, it's not even books. It is everything from trends on TikTok and YouTube to articles from ladies' magazines. We do everything from assemble flat pack furniture with our partners to read smut to each other, go to romance-themed hotels, (laughs) uh, you know, all the things that you've read about from all the not quite reputable sources out there. What made you want to do this? (laughs) (laughs) I'd say a mixture of curiosity and the fact that in our podcast that we normally do by the book, our partners uh, definitely become part of the social experiment of, you know, as sort of unwilling bystanders of us living by self-help advice. And people really love the snippets where our partners are involved. So we thought, oh, let's do something where we just force them to do every every episode with us. <laughs> and we're so intrigued with all that dating advice about like, if you do each other's grooming, like your love will grow as will your understanding of their body. And I'm like, really? I want to know. <laughs> what are each of your relationship statuses just now so our audience can get a sense? Well, I have been married for six years and with my husband for eight years. So we met almost eight years ago on a little thing you may have heard of called Tinder. Wow. Love to see it. (laughs) 
and I am married to a dude that I've been with for, I guess, a decade. We've been married seven years, met a decade ago when we were both aspiring theater actors. Okay, so you guys have been married for for a long time, each of you, a a considerable amount of time. Uh, I just got engaged. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Way to really stick that in there, Gabby. (laughs) It's important. (laughs) What have you found has has actually like kept the romance alive? Before, let's say before you even started this, what were your ideas individually of like how to get closer to your partner or have intimacy? Well, Dean and I are very much into, this is going to sound so corny, into manners and treating each other with kindness. Jolenta knows this very well. She's like, you two and your manners with each other. (laughs) But (laughs) we genuinely believe in treating each other constantly with kindness and giving way more compliments than when we would ever give criticisms. And then um, I think that's just because that's been the personality of our relationship from the get-go. It's helped keep things alive because, you know, is there anything sexier than somebody who treats you like you matter? Wow. Simple. Wow. Yeah. Oh, and then one other thing. He does all the housework and cleaning, and um, <laughs> that keeps him sexy, too. I'll just say that. <laughs> Acts of service is a love language. Yes. Yes. yes it's yes. real. <laughs> no, I think you're so right. You know, and, and one of the things that's so tricky with a partnership is, like, on the one hand, it's the person that you're the most comfortable with. But that also can mean that you, like, don't maintain a level of politeness that you do with like everyone else in your life and that could cause some tension and so I think like remembering oh this is another person that like I can I should probably watch how I speak to them is like really helpful yeah sometimes it's easy to fall into the trap of being more polite to your barista than to your partner um because we keep it so real with our partners right you flippantly say things yes yes yeah what about you, Jolenta? I feel like I guess sort of making time for just like little moments, even if it's just like my husband uh, often works evenings. So sometimes just making time to like hang out while we eat breakfast and like just watch a TV show together um, is like something so simple and boring, but definitely how we keep sort of a connection going, you know, just like shooting the shit over some toast. <laughs> But like forcing that time, it's time like I could be working or he could be, you know, prepping for work. But it's like, no, we got to like carve out little moments, whether it's like, you know, a movie night or a date night or a breakfast. Yeah, my partner calls it HQQT, high quality, quality time. Oh, perfect. (laughs) Yes, exactly. What a great what a great acronym nickname Yeah, acronym they said it to me one time as if I knew what it like they were like you got to get that HQQT and I was as if like I knew that that was like a thing thing everybody except us knows (laughs) yeah I was like one one more time (laughs) I make sure that my partner and I have a good night kiss every night so that we can maintain our intimacy Wow. And then we go intimacy maintained. Wow. (laughs) I like that. Wow. I will say I'm not a big romantic. And so I have had times, my partner is such a romantic that I've had times where we're like laying in bed and they'll go, we didn't kiss at all today. 
I'll be like, <laughs> why were you keeping track? <laughs> why weren't you, Gabby? Why wasn't I? I know. And then I said that to a friend of mine to be like, isn't Mal totally nuts? And my friend was like, I have actually said that to my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> that's why oh, you wow. gotta install the required good night kiss because then you got one of the books every day no matter what <laughs> so this is the thing right is that it sounds silly all of this stuff sounds silly but like it really does make a huge difference and so I was curious well I guess I want to start with what did you guys find to be themes that were repeated in these different forms of like romance self-help so a lot of the exercises are really about being vulnerable with our partners, um, opening ourselves up to letting them do our grooming, as Jolenta said, or opening ourselves up in love letters to each other, or opening ourselves up uh, to let them into our lives in ways they're not normally in our lives. Like, for example, bringing a spouse or a partner into a beloved hobby that they're not a part of in your life. So there are all sorts of ways that the exercises invite us to let people in that we love. And I'll just say it doesn't always go very well. I would say the <laughs> least successful exercise we did uh, for me and Dean was introducing each, each other to our hobbies. We almost killed each other. It was terrible. It Why? Was what awful. happened? Because he, because he is a video game person and he kind of turns into a monster when he's playing video games. He's kind of a boss. He's kind of um, a bulldozer. And I, I'm not a video game person. I'm just trying to putter around and figure out how it works. And he's trying to tell me I'm doing it wrong and let me grab the mouse away from you. This is how you do it. Watch how I do it. And then I leave the room. Yeah. And then <laughs> <laughs> it's a side of him that is exercised through video games that you don't need to see. Yes. Right. And he is the most loving, gentle person in the world who never raises his voice, as Jolenta knows very well. Jolenta has known him since day one. Yeah. <laughs> this is the couple that Kristen, like, said earlier, bonds over manners. So right. to have him sort of, like, butt in and be kind of controlling and, like, like, obviously judgmental it's it's rare <laughs> right could he recognize that he was behaving so differently in this atmosphere oh god yeah we we both saw it and we agreed we will never do this again we are never ever ever playing video games again <laughs> and what was your hobby that you brought him in on well he hates theater he cannot stand it <laughs> And I, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to introduce him to a kind of theater he'll like, though, because what he really cannot stand, people live in front of him acting out scenes, pretending I'm actually in somebody's living room, having a dramatic moment with them, then breaking into song. He hates all of that stuff. And so I'm like, oh, I am going to bring him to a theater experience where there's no talking at all. No singing. Oh, okay. It's all going to be drama on ice. And I thought he would like that because, you know, what it's, it's you know, it, it, it's skating. <laughs> it's not acting. And maybe you get to see some, you know, cute costumes. And he hated it. He hated it so much. <laughs> he hated it. Are you just it. talking about a figure skating show? It was called Theater on Ice. And it was an outdoor <laughs> theater during COVID. It sounded, it sounded like sort of a modern ice dance performance okay. from, yes. from what I, I heard on the show. And you, Kristen, had a good time. Oh, I had a blast. <laughs> Watching 20 people all skate in circles and jump around and make formations on the ice and tell a story of separateness and then togetherness as they did double axles. Oh, my God. It was fantastic. I loved it. So there was a story. There was a plot. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, I've got okay. to go see this immediately. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, so the advice, where did that advice come from? The advice was share each other's hobbies. Oh, yeah, that's in a lot of different places. We came okay. across that over and over again in our research, wouldn't you say, Jolenta? Yeah. And it's always like that way, like you have an intimate knowledge of like what they're doing and where they're going when they say they're off to blah, blah, blah. Like, no, <laughs> it seems codependent to me. Why not have your own things that you enjoy doing? If your partner wants to go off and play D&D, like Godspeed, do your own thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's nice to have things that are our own and, you know, our own internal lives and the things that, you know, make us feel sparkly inside. And it's okay if those things don't make our other, you know, our, our partners feel sparkly inside. It's okay. They can have different things that make them feel sparkly inside. And then we can come back together with ourselves all full of sparkles and be happy. Right. <laughs> Plus, what do you have to talk about? If you're both doing hobbies mm. with each other, what do you have to talk about at the end of the day? The theater on ice. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. dissect the ice dance for hours. Right. <laughs> no. No. Um, I'm wondering what else, like, was horrible advice. Like, what did you read and think this can't possibly work and then it didn't? I know that you didn't like the grooming one. I was going to say, I was, like, going between grooming and reading smut. Both didn't really work for us. <laughs> I mean, explain, Jolenta, what happened with you and grooming? So with grooming, there's all this stuff about like do each other's grooming and like you'll get to know each other's bodies and like see each other differently. And, you know, for us, like I helped my husband like shave his head like all the way, which I already sort of do because like he can't get the back right. So I'll always be like, you have some like sprigs. But for him, he like put on some makeup for me without any knowledge of how to do it. Didn't end up looking so great. And then just like constantly the whole time he was doing it was like, oh, this is so much work. You have to do like an art project on your face. Like presenting as a woman is like a job. And I'm like, I know. Thanks for pointing it out. Like, no, I know. Yeah. Like it's like but Do you feel unfair. that it caused him to understand you better or no? Yeah caused him to understand me better but it also like brought down the mood in that like it wasn't like a fun date like the yeah. you know what I mean where it's like in the long run like we do sort of joke about it and he's like oh how's your art project if I'm like putting on makeup for like say you know doing a podcast <laughs> that people will hear <laughs> but you guys will see so there's a I like the understanding, but I feel like it wasn't worth sort of like the mood killer in the moment because I wanted it to like yeah. bring us together instantly. Maybe my expectations were too high, too. When you said grooming, I completely thought you were like going to shave each other's pubes or something. He also shaved my legs and was like, this is work. And I'm like, yeah, I have really long legs. It's like a large portion of my body. And it brought down the mood. <laughs> <laughs> I had a um, major knee surgery in February. And afterwards, my boyfriend had to help me shower and had to dress me. Oh, yeah. <sighs> but it was different because... It wasn't like meant to be romantic. Do you know what I mean? But instead it was like, oh, this person can care for me in my most vulnerable state. And that feels nice. Right. <laughs> but right. I think mm -hmm. if it had been like dress, put my pants on for fun, yeah. then it would have been <laughs> not great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was more like him being like, how much excruciating pain am I causing you in this moment? And can I lower it down a little bit? <laughs> 
But that creates intimacy. I mean, how many, there's that movie Phantom Thread where she keeps <laughs> making Simpson. <laughs> I'm just going to poison you every month. Right, right. That's how yeah. you keep them close to you. That's how you keep the intimacy alive. <laughs> what was the thing that worked the best? Oh, Jolent and I had such different reactions to almost every exercise. We both sort of like doing something terrifying together. We did. I think yeah. that's good. It was yeah. fun. Like what? Yeah. What what terrifying things? Ours was like super heteronormative in that I drove us to the beach. And so me being in charge of us and I'm more cautious than him. So like there's some yelling about like, go, go. And like people honking. Like, Mm -hmm. so it got a little it it got the dynamic between us was more terrifying than like the act of driving. But uh, so I drove us to the beach and Kristen's was way cuter. Oh, my God. No, driving my couple of my biggest fights with partners have been over each other's driving. It's like very intimate and 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 everyone gets so defensive. But there's also laughter. Uh, There's a lot of trust that you have to, you know, on both parts, the driver has to trust Oof. the passenger not to freak out. The passenger has to trust that the driver is going to get them there safely. Yeah, all of that. What was yours? Another version of driving. It was uh, riding a tandem bike together. And I am somebody who rarely bikes. And um, I have been in bike accidents before. Mm. My husband is a very avid mountain biker. But just a few weeks prior was in the ER for a mountain biking accident. <laughs> so I, I didn't want to get on a, uh, on a tandem bike with him. And he didn't want to get on a tandem bike with me, somebody who bikes once every 10 years. And so we were both really scared to do it. And the whole episode is just essentially me screaming, me <laughs> screaming and screaming and screaming. And just when you think I can't scream anymore, I'm screaming more. I scream wow. pretty much through the whole episode. And I loved it. And afterward, I'm like, we got to do this all the time. It's so good. <laughs> you guys should be jumping out of planes together and stuff. I feel like that's that's really good, like intimacy stuff. My partner and I just blew up an inflatable boat that they gave me for my birthday. And then we realized we went out on the lake and we had all these ideas. We were going to go around the whole lake. But you need you have oars. So <laughs> we're sitting with each other and we're rowing. And we're like not making any progress because you have to at the same time row in order to move forward. And it was such a metaphor. And we were like <laughs> trying so hard. And then and then it wasn't working. And then once we, they were sitting across from me. And then once they came and sat next to me and we could row next to each other was when all of a sudden the boat started moving. And I was like, and they're so, I'm not like this. I'm very logical, but my partner is very like, so I was like, this is not a metaphor. Stop it. Whatever you're building in your mind about what this means about our relationship, shut it down. <laughs> like we went to like Target and we needed to find a, a beach umbrella and we couldn't find the beach umbrella and uh, we were searching for it. And I could tell in their mind, they were like, if we don't find this beach umbrella, it means that we can't work together and we're not. And I'm like, it's just a beach umbrella, but they're not like that. <laughs> so finally we found the umbrella and we brought it and we like actually worked together and found it, which was like kind of a miracle because it was not anywhere it should have been. And then we got back in the car and I was like, do you genuinely feel like the umbrella represents our relationship? And now you think that we'll be together for the next 10 years. And they're like, I genuinely do. <laughs> they are. Wow. Yeah. You, wow. Can't ev- I, you can't like everything is a thing. <laughs> you know, everything's wow. a story with meaning. 
Yes. So I was like, do not. So I was, as soon as we couldn't get the oars, I was like, this, you shut it down. Whatever metaphor you're creating in your mind, stop it. <laughs> but we did end up, when we sat next to each other, we could row the boat. Right. And when wow. you get that feeling of like, oh, we're doing, we're it. doing it. Or like, it's working. Or like, we got there. Like, it's sort of, it like might be a hint of a trauma bond, but like it also, you get that like <laughs> adrenaline going and you're, you know, having adrenaline together. Like it's exciting and like it helps connect. That's why you guys mentioned putting furniture together. That's the big one. Mm, yeah. Ikea furniture, my husband and I, uh, we're very different in how we do things. He doesn't like to read the instructions. I'm like, why would you <gasps> not read the instructions? They're right there. And <laughs> Ikea furniture in particular has the cute little cartoons of the two humans doing it for you. Mm -hmm. You just do what the little cartoon humans do. Let's just do this. And he essentially was trying to like throw away the instructions like I can do this. No. And no, no. Now you're Whoa. now you're turning in the screw before I even put the shelf in. You have to have the shelf in first. That's step one. Not turning the screw. I, yeah, there was a lot of that happening. We just have different approaches. And it's sometimes to my detriment, but I am absolutely about following instructions. As Jolenta knows on by the book, following the instructions possibly to the extreme. And he is wow. not. Wow. I hate uh, reading instructions. So I'll be like, you read the instructions and then you tell me what I'm to I'm a do. reader. <laughs> um, oh, I'm the opposite. I'm the instruction. I'm the brains and Mal's the brawn. Like I'm the instruction <laughs> reader and Mal will lift the things. I'm the yep, brawn, that's baby. That's just what my partner does. Yeah. I'm like, you lift that bed frame. I'll tell you exactly how to put it together. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, yeah, Allison, you're the brawn? Well, I, I, I'm now correcting. I'm not really either, but I, I don't like to read <laughs> instructions. I, I, but it, I, I can't, I don't know how to do things off of reading, but if somebody tells me what to do, then Got I can it. do it. So mm -hmm. I just need him to interpret the instructions and then tell me what to do. And then I determine if I want to listen. If it was like an audiobook, <laughs> it would be easier to do the instructions. We just had a big test in our relationship, which was that we hosted, we like had our first big co-hosting party. Ooh. And it was really funny because we put so much stakes on it. We were like, if this doesn't go well, one, we can't stay together. But two, like <laughs> nobody will ever want to come to a party we throw ever yeah. again. Like <laughs> oh we're establishing... God what it is like for us as a duo to throw a party. And so we went like all out and like spent way too much money. And like, and now we probably can't throw another party because we can't spend that kind of money again. Can't live up to the party. <laughs> now, Allison, did you each take separate roles? Did one of you play the role of I'm going to host every person as they walk through the door and the other person's in the kitchen? Or did you just go fast and loose? I'd say once the party was starting, we were kind of fast and loose. I'm looking to Melissa because she was there. We had different roles leading up to the party. And I will say I'm sort of big picture. And then I and then I give him tasks. <laughs> nice. So She's I have the, the list of everything that's got to happen. And then I'll decide what of that I'm going to do and what of that I need him to do. Wow. But it was it was wild. It was really. And then during the party, we were like, OK, this is going. I think we can stay together. <laughs> you guys yes. both you guys both put that on? Like you guys both oh, yeah. were like, if this doesn't go well? For a month leading up to the party. Because that was another thing. We overly planned this party where we like 
paid for paperless post. We sent out the invitations like five weeks in advance. This was like, there was no reason to treat it this way. But it kind of became this like fun game in our relationship that we were treating this party so seriously. Wow. I love it. Did I remember to RSVP? Um, Yeah, you RSVP'd that you couldn't be there. Yeah. And that's sort of the (laughs) the dynamic. (laughs) I, yeah, I had a birthday party and all I did was print a step and repeat with my name on it and order some pizza. (laughs) Oh, you had a step and repeat? Absolutely. Absolutely a step and repeat at my party. I don't go anywhere that there isn't a step and repeat. There is a red carpet. There'll be a red carpet at my wedding. Oh my gosh. What did the step and repeat have on it? Dream wedding. It said, thank you so much. It said, it was for my birthday and my name's Gabby Dunn. And my friend a long time ago started saying Gabby birth done on my birthday. And so then I made this background that said Gabby birth done. And then people took pictures in front of it. And I had a ring light. Oh, that's so good. Thank you so so much. The problem with that was that then I was like, this is what I want to do. And then my partner was like, what will people eat, Gabby? And I'm like, oh, whatever they want. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care. unimportant to me. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. we're back. So I have to ask, like, what are your thoughts on these places like and sources giving advice for every couple? Right. Because couples are so different. Their dynamics are so different. Like, do you think it even makes sense to sort of give these universal tips? Absolutely not. I mean, (laughs) it's mostly straight couples, right? Oh, uh, almost, almost always. always. Yeah. They very, very rarely acknowledge the fact that somebody could be in a relationship uh, that's not, you know, male, female. But I would also say that, you know, Jolenta and I like to think that we are an example of how two people who are similar in so many ways, we live 10 blocks away from each other. We are, you know, both in similar marriages in, in, in so many ways. We live on the East Coast and so on. Even though we're similar in many ways, we're both podcasters, what worked for Jolenta almost always didn't work for me and vice versa. And Mm. if people who are as similar as Jolenta and I can't find common ground with this advice, what is somebody doing who's living, you know, in a third ring suburb of Wichita who's same sex? Right. In a same sex relationship versus somebody who lives in the South and is an evangelical Christian versus Mm -hmm. somebody who lives, I mean... We all have such different lifestyles and we all have different personalities and we all have different things that, you know, turn us on and make us feel good. So uh, I, I just think much like by the book, the idea that anything is universal is completely false. It's just not. Did a lot of it put the pressure on the woman? Almost all the advice we came across was targeted at women. There were very few sources we came across that seemed to be saying, men, step up. Here's how to, you know, make your woman feel more excited about you. Here's how to make her feel more cherished. Men, here's a way to, you know, uh, satisfy her even more in the bedroom. Almost everything we read was targeted at women um, Mm -hmm. with, you know, the preface being, ladies, here's how to add some spark. Or even if it wasn't saying, ladies. uh, Spice, spark. Yes. (laughs) The websites, even if they weren't saying they were targeted at women, they had certain um, clues that 
women um, might feel are targeting them. So, you know, the cursive font, the pink shades on the website and so on. I'm not saying men can't love cursive and pink. Right. But 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 we know what that social coding is. Mm hmm. Yeah. There, you know, some gendering message. Yeah. I mean, even with the with the sexual stuff, like we are talking about reading smut to each other. Was that was that like in an effort to grow closer or in an effort to have better sex? Like, what was that for? I think it was about intimacy. Were you picking the smut? We picked it. And like, you know, it was rough to like to pick something that like your partner who's being like semi forced to do this activity is comfortable <laughs> having like anyone who <laughs> has audible hearing. And, you know, they have lives and careers of their own that they want to like maintain some dignity with. And I think it was just supposed to be letting letting your partner in on what turns you on. If like maybe you have trouble doing that, it's an in to be like, what if we try reading this? And I think about like, I feel like it's just like what a, a ladies magazine would say is like a classier, quote unquote, version of like watching porn together, essentially, like like literally just mm-hmm. adding some spice, a new sexy element to like your your uh, intimate life together. And did you notice a change in the type of advice based on when it was given? Like, if were you looking at any like older advice from like the 70s or was it all sort of modern advice? Um, I would say a lot of it was uh, not necessarily uh, <laughs> modern or historic, but a lot of it, I would say, is just classics that probably we've all seen again and again and again in Cosmo articles when we were in high school all the way to the present. You know, the ones that were more modern, like the ones about doing grooming, I think were informed to a certain extent by COVID and what people were doing during that time. Um, you know, not everyone's making it to the hair salon. Maybe their partner is right. coloring their hair or trimming their bangs for them, you know? Like, you want help doing, you know, your non... Or yeah. You want help painting your nails, like, with your non-dominant hand. Like, yes. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wait, I'm into nail art. Like, <laughs> my partner Mal did shave my head for me a couple times, and it is, it was nice. It was cute. Mm-hmm. And it yeah, felt my like partner intimate. Yeah. Buzz my hair. And it's it was like kind of a fun moment. It was sweet. Well, that's the big takeaway. Everyone buzz each other's heads. Uh, <laughs> yeah, wait. <laughs> Most of us can agree on that. Like yes. half fifty percent of us agree. I so. agree. <laughs> we solved it. Would you want to play a game show with us? Oh yes. Of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So this will be just as revealing about yourselves as this whole adventure has been, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) So this game is called Hypotheticals. All three of you are going to be my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have and then tell me what you would do in that situation. And I pick a winner. Uh, Sometimes I'm the winner. Sometimes life's (laughs) the winner, you know? Wow. Uh, (laughs) So our first game is America's favorite game show, Would you stay with this cheater? Your partner of six years is an escape room fanatic. Incredible. They have successfully broken out of 25 different escape rooms all over the country and always boast about it on social media and at parties. One night, they are attempting to escape from a very challenging room alone. And the person working the front desk is being coy about giving out clues. 
your partner proceeds to have intercom sex with the employee so they will give them clues and they can escape in time and keep their perfect record. Would you stay with this cheater? What the fuck is intercom sex? It's like phone sex, but over it's an like intercom. Phone sex. Yeah, I'm in. I, I, I'll stay with that cheater. <laughs> no, here's why. Here's why I'm staying with this cheater. I'd be pissed. I, I've been <laughs> trapped in escape rooms a couple of times now where even using the intercom, nobody let me out. I would do whatever it takes to get out of an escape room at this point after twice being trapped in one. And if that means intercom sex, so be it. That, that's just showing you're resourceful. I am so competitive about my intelligence that if I was at risk of losing an escape room or if I would do almost anything and if I lost an escape room, I would I would feel I would try to make sure that anyone who saw it happen was dead. Like, it'd be like <laughs> I would kill anyone who had seen it, like just so that there were no loose ends. I, I, this is why I can't play Jeopardy because I'll take it so seriously. Everyone's like, you should go on Jeopardy. And I was like, if I go on Jeopardy and I get an easy one wrong, I will, I will end it all. So I, <laughs> I, I take it way too seriously. So uh, I say I would stay with this cheater. Yeah, I feel like stay with them, but like we'd have something to talk about in couples therapy a lot. It was like, mutually beneficial, I'll tell you that. Oh! Mutually beneficial. Are you allowed to come in an escape room? Well, I, I don't think there are signs saying you can't. <laughs> I've never but seen a sign. Every it's true. surface of that room, our hands are oh, on everything, gosh. looking for clues. No, no, no. And if the walls are <laughs> sticky suddenly, please do not come in here walls. on an escape room. <laughs> <laughs> I'm staying. Yeah, I guess I'll stay too, and I'll just hope they wipe down the walls for the next person. Wow, I really thought everyone would leave. Yeah. My whole I'll thing stay. would be, you didn't even deserve to say that you mm. figured out that escape room because you cheated. Ah, and that is a very Allison response. And that's my issue with it. I You're going to go around bragging that you got out? You cheated. Both in two different ways. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. All right. When Allison's right, she's right. <laughs> okay, our next scenario. Are you a terrible parent? Your child, 13, has been refusing to study for their bat mitzvah. But instead of forcing them to prepare, you see this as a good learning opportunity and let them decide how much work they want to put into it. On the day of their bat mitzvah, oh, no. they totally bomb and can't even get through their Haftarah portion. It ends up being the most humiliating day of their life, but they are never not prepared ever again and eventually become a CEO of a major corporation. Are you a terrible parent? No, you're a great parent. You're the best kind of parent in the whole <laughs> world. Yes. Ooh. That's off to this parent. I love this parent. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Why parent. do you think that? Well, because... You are entering into your adulthood when you are being bat mitzvahed. And, uh -huh. part, and part of growing up and being an adult is raising an adult, not raising a child. And part of adulthood is making our own mistakes. And so in this case, this is not life or death. It's just like embarrassing. And I've been to bat mitzvahs before where the Torah portion is sung and or read in a not very clear way. Uh, where there are some stumbles here and there. And like, nobody died. It was fine. Then afterward, we all ate a bunch of food and we danced. And 
that was the bigger portion of the event anyway, was the party afterward. It's not, you know, no one's going to die over this. And then in the end, our hypothetical child here ended up being the CEO of a company. So it's all fine in the end anyway. But again, I think we need to be allowed to make our mistakes in life. It's okay. And no one's going to die of a mistake. And there's a great lesson to be learned in sometimes we make mistakes and we don't die from it. I've been truly convinced. And also, why the hell did my parents drag me to fucking Rabbi Yitzhak <laughs> every goddamn week so I could learn my door portion? It was so boring. <laughs> <laughs> did you have a, a fantastic party afterward, though? I did. I had a great party. And the party was great, right? I had a really good party. <laughs> I had a situation where I wasn't that prepared and the cantor yelled at me and oh, I, that. I oh, it, it ignited no. something in me. And then I gave one of the best spot mitzvahs on that side of the Mississippi, I think. <laughs> <laughs> they still talk about it to this day. Uh, yeah, they all, uh, the Westchester Jews really <laughs> can't give it up. Um <laughs> I thought Gabby was going to say you're a terrible parent to allow your child to become a CEO of a major corporation. I thought that uh. as well. I actually did. I actually did think that. Yeah. I agree with Kristen. You're a good you're a good parent, but then maybe they should be something else. Fair enough. Yeah, I think it's fine parenting. I feel like it's low stakes enough. My first thought was they should run a butterfly reserve. And you know what? Stick with that. Oh, Sounds peaceful. CEO of a butterfly reserve. That's a no, good job. No, not CEO. Right. Kristen. <laughs> you can be CEO of a good place. They right? just run a butterfly reserve. It's peaceful. As the CEO. I am They're so proud of them. They're manager. They're the manager. Every butterfly reserve needs a CEO. <laughs> or is I it a, C- a CBO? Chief Butterfly Officer. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought was the most. I was like, what's more, what's the opposite of a CEO? What's something gentle? And it's like a person who runs a, a butterfly, butterfly reserve. <laughs> <laughs> okay, our final game. Would you forgive this liar? Growing up, you were always told that you... <laughs> Allison, whenever she laughs at her own, I'm like, what is this going to be? Growing up, you were told that your father was a sperm donor, so you could never find out who he was due to legal anonymity. On your 25th birthday, you were going through old photos and find your mother's journal, which includes a passage saying that David Miscavige, the current leader of Scientology, is actually your father as a result of your mother's brief stint in the religion slash cult. <laughs> when you confront her... She says you didn't want she didn't want you to know because he is so icky and also probably a murderer. Would you forgive this liar? <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. Yes, I would find that. And I don't even know if I would confront my mom. I'd be like, let's pretend this never fucking happened. Never saw this sperm donor oh all God. the way. Where is Shelly? Like, I don't want to have to take that on. I don't want to feel like somewhat responsible for that. Like, no, I think totally forgive this lie. Like, you're better off thinking sperm donor over Miscavige. Oh, my God. Jolenta, really? No, really? I'm all for it. In this, like, one case, usually not. Okay, hold on. Does he know I exist? Mm, um, No. No, he doesn't. Okay. Kristen, what's your answer? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, Mom, 
I'm going to forgive you after I go to the press with this information. <gasps> after I force there to be a paternity test, after I sue Scientology for uh, child support for all of the years of neglect, after I completely take down this cult and rescue the abused children that are living within the cult, after all of that, mom, I will forgive you. Straight first, to Leah Remini. Straight yes. to Leah Remini. Yes. Love yes. her. That's Love what her. I'm doing. And I am, full disclosure, reading her book right now, as don't really? worry And loving Whoa. it. Yes. I'm reading the audiobook version, which she narrates and is wonderful. She narrates yeah. it? That's amazing. And she is hilarious as she's talking about how bananas everything is. She's wow. such a good narrator. But yeah, that's my method. Yeah, I'm, I'm calling Leah. My thought is a mix of both of you. And Jolentis plays in here because if he knows I exist, what's to stop him from coming and killing me? Mm-hmm. Maybe she was keeping me safe. And maybe I don't want maybe I don't want that target on my back. Oh, right? I mean, I see what you're saying. Sea Org is very popular, right? But there's also an added wrinkle where and I think Leah Remini is my partner's um like big celebrity crush. And so I think if I could leverage being a miscavige to get my partner to meet Leah Remini, who I assume is their soulmate, uh, they would all be worth it. My partner loves a, a, a bossy woman with a strong Jersey accent. Yes. <laughs> yes. Do they also like Michelle Visage? Or? They love Michelle Visage. Yeah. They like Marissa Tomei. It's all that. Oh my kind. gosh. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's nice. all that. That's yeah. so cute. Yeah. Well, I think what we do is 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 we get a, a security team in place and then we take them down. Ah, yes. Who, who's we? <laughs> well, we're all David Miscavige's Ill- illegitimate children in this scenario. <laughs> it's similar to how like Ronan Farrow, when they were saying he, that Frank Sinatra was his dad and he was like, I mean, we could all technically be Frank Sinatra's children. I was like, we could all <laughs> technically be David Miscavige's children. Exactly. <laughs> Horrifying. <laughs> Thank you both so much for joining us. Where can people find out everything that you're doing and follow your work? We have our podcast by the book pod, which has its own Twitter and Instagram um, at by the book pod. And we post things about romance road tests there. We post things about ourselves. We post things about by the book. So that's probably the easiest place. But then mm-hmm. also Jolenta, I'll let you shout out any other handles you want to shout out. Well, also Romance Road Test, our Audible show is at audible.com slash romance road test. That's where you can hear all of our dates. You can binge it all. And we also talked to Nedra Glover Tawab at the end. She's an amazing relationship therapist. And she gives us sort of like advice about like why things didn't didn't work. It's very fun. Love it. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you. This was so much fun. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about changing your language and why people don't seem to want to do it, even though it's not that big of a deal. Welcome back, Juice Between Us. It's time for Topics. X, 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 baby. Baby. Ooh. That was upbeat. That was melodic. This feels like an alternate universe where, like, Melissa is me. Like, I'm I'm watching JBU, but, like, it's a different timeline or something. Yeah. 
Like, what would the show have been this whole time if it was me and Melissa from the beginning? Very different. Probably, like, more <laughs> reasonable. What'd you say? I said very different. Yeah, probably more reasonable. Mm. Why did you want to talk about changing your language? Well, just because um, people are, seem to be so mad about it. People seem to be, <laughs> like, really mad about using the right pronouns, using they, yeah. them. Because Kamala Harris did that thing where she was meeting with disability activists. And, and so she described what she looked like for the blind activists. And people were furious about that. Who cares? Yeah, it's just very strange to me that people feel so, like, oppressed by the idea of, of speaking in a different way. When, like, that's what society has always done. I thought I that I didn't know what had spurred you, but... um. Also, both Lizzo and Beyonce oh, yes. had a word in their song that is not. I I don't think a lot of people know that it's a word that is offensive, which is why I don't think either of them would have put it in their songs if they knew that. But because I, I honestly didn't know before either. But they both took it out and then people were saying, why are they doing this? Yeah, actually, that was exactly why I put okay. this topic. I forgot that oh. that was why. <laughs> Originally, it was going to be about that specifically, but then I thought that it was unfair because I've seen a lot of discourse that like that there is this like pressure on on black female artists to change their language in a way that oh, there hasn't been on other artists. Um, and so I didn't want to make it just about them. But yeah, like like I think that the way that they responded to that was like perfect. Where like they were they clearly didn't know the words intention. They had feedback and they went, oh, OK, let me just change it. Yep. I'm I'm hold on. I'm having a hard time because all these people keep. Uh, oh, got it. Because all these people are like they used an ableist slur. So I'm like Googling what it was and then they don't say what the slur is, which to fair. But I'm like, what? <laughs> um, I just found one that told me. OK, okay. yeah, I think. Growing and changing is is like as easy as that. But I think people get really defensive because they feel like it's an attack on them, which is a natural human reaction. I'm going to take you on a journey. All so, right, here we go. Buckle up. Buckle up. So for, for Bad With Money, I've been doing a deep dive on Batman because I'm doing an episode about the concept of Batman as a billionaire. Uh, and I have watched a lot of Batman movies. And... One of the things that has stuck out to me is that in order to justify Batman being a billionaire, they have to take these villains who we would reasonably agree with, right? Environmentalists, people who uh, oppose prisons, uh, people who oppose wealth inequality or corruption within the police. The villains naturally hold the, the opinions that we would hold. They have to then in the film take those people to a exaggerated, murderous place in order to then prove why we need the Batman, who arguably is a Republican cop. So the thing is, is that I was talking about this with someone and the 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 it's fear mongering, right? It's the next step. It's like if we allow, OK, you kind of agree with Bain, but if we allow even one inch, the mile that's going to be taken is they're going to put everyone on trial and murder them on the ice. Like, so it's this thing where I think they view if I start using they, them, or if I can't use this bad word, or if I, you know, start, if I have to change the way I refer to certain types of people that they start to get a fight or flight. 
because it's it's um, taught to them by Fox News, by the media they consume, by whatever else, that this is then a slippery slope. That as soon as they give in to using the right pronouns for people, all of a sudden their children will be forced to wear gender neutral clothes to their trans school where they're forced to play sports against some big kid who's punching. You know what I mean? Like the reason that they get so bumped on these small things is because they've been taught or they've been and word choice is that they've they've got this right wing fantasy that as soon as they give in to this small thing, suddenly their their kids will be forced to be trans and injected with a million vaccines and also have to say sorry to a statue of a black person every. You know what I mean? It's like it's like fear fantasy. Yeah, but I feel like it's not even just the far right that is having issues with this. Like, I think there are people like more in the middle that like can't understand like why a word that they've always used and never thought was a slur is suddenly a slur. And they get like so upset about that. And to me, it's like, and maybe on the one hand, it's feeling silly that they didn't know that. So therefore, because it was something they didn't know, it can't be true. Or they're embarrassed or they feel like, I'm a good person. I have good intentions. On the left, I think it's people being like, I'm good. I'm the best. I have good intentions. If I didn't know about this, then I then either I'm not as good as I think I am, which can't be possible, or now there's now it's just impossible standards. Or sometimes I think leftist people also think, oh no, we're giving it, we're we're doing this, you know, we give so much, we help so much. Now blind people want our help. Like we're never gonna win. <laughs> hmm. I don't know. They feel like it's impossible standards when it's like very easy. I think people get so like caught in their ways that they don't they feel like that things are changing when the thing is the things have always been the same, that these things have been offensive. But now people feel empowered to speak up about it. And then they're like, well, why didn't you say something sooner? Why is this offensive now when it wasn't offensive before? And it's just like. It's always been offensive. People are empowered to say that it's offensive. Why aren't you giving space for people to feel comfortable and to talk about it? And like in our lifetime, there's been like, I I can think of like two major words that used to be said all of the time, like the F word and the R word constantly. We grew up with those words being thrown around. And then there was a cultural shift where it was like, oh, actually don't say those words. And so people went, okay, (laughs) but now I feel like it's become this like because of this like snowflake wokeness, like bullshit out there. It's now become so unbelievably politicized for a marginalized group to say, hey, when you say this, it is offensive or it is harmful or hurtful. It's like, well, this means this stands for much more than just that. And this is our society crumbling around us. Yes. But like we always change our words. Yeah. A lot of words that had a meeting at one time mean something completely different now. So like, it's like people don't want to evolve. Mm-hmm. It's not even that. It's exactly what Melissa said, where the marginalized group didn't have a voice before. So for instance, Christian Siriano, who has apologized and, and really made amends for this, was on Project Runway and would throw around the T-slur all the time. That was part of his brand. And then all of a sudden, and, and think about at that time, were there any trans people on television? Not in a, in, in a huge way that was respected, 
not not beyond, you know, Jerry Springer or something. So all of a sudden the media landscape changes. Suddenly there are people like Janet Mock and Laverne Cox and people like that actually are going on to Carmen Carrera, going on TV and having a voice. And suddenly they're like, actually, we never liked that. <laughs> you just weren't listening to us. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's like and, and look, the reality is like, if you have been using a term like for me, like I've I've tried to stop saying crazy or mm-hmm. psychotic or like nuts. Um, and it's been hard. Like I don't necessarily like it's not a thing that has come supernaturally or easily for me. And there are definitely times where like I still fuck up or when like I'm like I, I feel frustrated that that I can't think of a replacement word to give to mm-hmm. give the same type of feel that I want. Like, you know, but but to me, like the discomfort of that or the annoyance of that is worth the greater good. And I think that that's what people lose sight of is like, yes, it will be. It is always difficult to change your language and to take and and to to lose words that you're used to using. But it is still worth it in the way that all the things that we do that are difficult, we do because of the the final outcome. Now, my question is, you have a mental illness. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't feel like you can use those words. But I was using those words. Uh, I mean, I think I can. The only place I ever f- would feel comfortable using that, those words is if I was saying I felt crazy uh, mm. about myself. But, you know, I would say mm-hmm. that's so crazy or they're acting psychotic or they're yeah, they're nuts like mm-hmm. or this is nuts or that's like I would or mm-hmm. insane. Like oh, those those words are very descriptive and were often used, at least for me, not about somebody with actual mental problems. I would use them for a wide variety of situations mm-hmm. in a very casual and flippant way. And over the last like year and a half, I've been really, really trying not to. Mm. And and it is hard because sometimes what I want to say, I don't want to say bananas. <laughs> like I want to just say yeah. like something yeah. that has a little more meat to it. But I, yeah. I recognize that that's that that's not worth it like so much is like what is the cost benefit of these choices and the cost is always so much greater than the slight benefit of of the easiness of maintaining our harmful old vernacular it gets a little difficult for me with people's opinions on my my ability to say like the ability where people i think have very strong opinions on whether I can say those or or refer or refer to my friends as such or call like trans women friends of mine have reclaimed the T slur for themselves. I don't think trans men can use it. That's my opinion. I think because it's been historically targeted at trans women, I think trans women can take it back and use it amongst themselves or to talk about themselves or whatever. But I know that there's like, you know, this kind of big big thing of like in our insular groups, how we talk to each other or am I like I was surprised like Drew, my my friend who's a trans woman, describes herself in an essay. She described herself as a as a both and a and I was like, if if I did that, I would be ripped apart. I couldn't believe how how casually she was able to do that. And I have other friends who very casually use those words for themselves. But then I think because because I'm in like I have a more of a platform, it's it's people are a little bit more tense about it. 
But I'm like, I, but it's it's weird because then, you know, Mal has said, Mal and I both like jokingly use transsexual, which is an outdated term to refer to ourselves. But we've realized that doing that allows cis people to think they can do it too. So like the the ben- cost benefit analysis is like, then like cis people will think that transsexual is okay to say. I think that's also like, you know, among like me using the N word, like I wouldn't say mm-hmm. that around anyone that's not black but it's like the thing where it's like your word so you can use it like for yourself but like Mm -hmm. other people should realize it's not their word to use but they if they're outdated like transsexual is just outdated it's not really a slur it's just outdated and like and so people still think that that's maybe the word so that is an easy mistake where you're like actually no we're we're just being tongue in cheek. It really is transgender. Please use transgender. <laughs> but then with like more like slur type things, it's sort of like, what's the history of that? You know, like what's the what's the history of the usage? And then it's still up in the air amongst the community who gets to use what and what what it's used for. And it's changed, right? Like we used to I remember like it's also like insular within like the community as a joke, right? Like it used to be like queer used to be a slur. Or like not even as a joke, right? But but there are people who have a really tough time with younger generations calling themselves queer. They're like, queer was a slur. And we're like, yeah, it's not anymore. It's reclaiming the word. Unless they're yelling, you fucking queer! <laughs> then it's like, okay, your intention there I see is probably not good. But if someone knew the right words and did that, if someone was like, you fucking transgender, I'd be like, you have it correct, but that seems aggressive. <laughs> What do people prefer instead of of queer? Gay. Gay, lesbian. I think it sometimes comes with a bit of a tinge of transphobia because they're like, no, I want to identify. As, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's there's what like I feel a little... like. I feel like what is a more universal term than that? Like, right? Like, because some gay, people. I use gay for a lot of it, but queer genuinely describes what I am. What I got a mix of shit going on. <laughs> like, yeah. have you struggled to change your language at all, Melissa? I'll say that I did about like three or four years when did when did we have on this show there was a guest I don't remember their name but they came on and they were taught I believe that the topic was changing like words for people with mental health but whatever that topic was that was when because I've I've never used like the R word or say crazy specifically because like my mom's sister has cerebral palsy and also schizophrenia. And so like those were always no words for us. But right. But like I've been trying to instead of saying things like like nuts or psychotic or something like that, I've stopped saying those words and that has changed and I've started using like wild more wild. Yeah. So it was a struggle, but now it just comes easy. Like I don't think about it anymore. Yeah. There's a transition period. Yeah. One big one for me has been uh, eradicating lame, lame, blind spot and tone deaf, because I feel like uh, those have been really good for me to get rid of. And also, Good because I feel like it forces you to think of better descriptors. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you actually mean? 
Mm-hmm. Yep. It's almost like don't say stuff or things. Like, what do you actually mean? <laughs> yeah. And it, and it is always weird that moment when somebody tells you that this word that you've been using is offensive and you never realized it. Because there's like a moment of like, oh, no, like it almost feels like you've like been walking around with like food on your face or, like yeah. you know, but say just, thank you. Say thank you for telling me. Oh, yeah. I just mean internally, like I'm yeah. just saying, but like you have to just like recalibrate like this assumption that like, you know, better, like you just got to let go of that. <laughs> Do y'all correct other people when you hear them use those terms? Yeah, but sometimes it's hard because. Not everyone agrees. So like someone could correct, like some disabled people want to be called disabled people. Some people were like, no, we want to be called people with disabilities. It's like not a monolith Mm -hmm. for each community. So you could run into someone and you they could be like, actually, it's this. And then you could meet someone else from the same community who's like, actually, it's this. So I think like I do correct people, but I kind of couch it in like, but that's just me. I don't know. It depends on the relationship. It depends on the word. Like if I know if I know it's somebody who like doesn't if I tell them like, hey, actually, lame is an ableist slur, like don't use that word and like and I know they'll be like receptive to it. Then I then I definitely will will try to do it. But I also yeah, I mean, maybe I need to be doing be doing more of it. I, I have just found that even around people who are progressive, their reaction is like yeah. oh, that one, too. Do you know? Yeah, like, yeah, totally. It, it doesn't. It's not always smooth sailing. Interjecting and things with that. go back and forth. Things go back and forth. My dad was using a a word for Asian people, and then I said that's not the right word. And then he's like, "Oh, it used to be like." And then I was like, "Yeah, what? It wasn't. Then it was again. Now it's bad again." You know, like it things like ebb and flow, kind of yeah. in this weird way. Or like, <sighs> there's a thing up here where I I am in New Jersey where there's big signs around the entire city for midget football. Now, what they mean by that is little is like little league football, but it's called up here midget football. And then people will have shirts with it. And people like there's big signs that say like, like, come on down midget football. And I had never heard that term before. And Mal explained it to me. And I was like, what? I can't. What am, I can't just go around. What am I going to do? Go to City Hall? Like, what, am I going to go to a meeting and be like, guys? <laughs> but like, I, I'm just like some city slicker who came in, you know? Yeah. But I think, you know, hopefully like having more public platforms talk about it. Right. Like it just like, you know, because then it then it's like, oh, like, like hearing about it, like on a podcast or reading in an article, then you're not getting that call out in an interpersonal conversation. Right. And then you can sort of like decide if that's something you want to adapt or not. But like, yeah, I think we just like need to be speaking about it more publicly because I think a lot of it is people just not knowing for some of these things. I think they absolutely don't know because it's just been what it's called probably for the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. Well, what do we rate this episode? I rate it 11 out of 10. Quit your job. <laughs> I rated uh, 30 out of 26. Shave your partner's head. Uh, <laughs> and I will rate it 17 out of 13 cost-benefit analysis. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you to Kristen Meinzer and Jolenta Greenberg for being our guests. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond Monts. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Tracy Soren. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. 
to listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or on our channel, youtube.com slash show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, at Allison Raskin, at She Is Not Melissa, at Gabby Road, Emotional Support Lady Substack, Patreon.com slash Gabby Dunn, and also Allison's book, Overthinking About You. Go and leave a Goodreads or an Amazon review. Um, you can also go to Scribd and see my book, Stimulus Wreck. But Allison's, give them reviews. Okay, bye! For years, Minky Couture has been donating blankets to NICUs across the country. Owner Sandy Henry's grandson was born at 30 weeks, and she placed a mini blanket in her grandson's incubator. We want to help other NICU families with the Heart of Minky program. For every adult-sized blanket purchased, Minky Couture will donate a mini-sized blanket to NICUs across the nation. Thanks to you, we can fulfill our dream to blanket the world.